0: Good morning, Hope Jersey City. It is good to be with you this morning. This week, we're continuing our series called Rooted, where we're looking at the Psalms and we're considering what does it mean to be connected to God in every season of our lives. And this morning, I want us to consider the idea of being overwhelmed. What does it mean for us to be connected to God when we are feeling overwhelmed? I think this is something we can all relate to right now. I, I really think that lockdown, if anything, has increased this feeling of being overwhelmed. And maybe we're overwhelmed by just the sense of feeling confined to a single space, or maybe we're overwhelmed by all the demands that are pulling on us in different directions. Demands of home, demands of kids, demands of relationships, demands of work, demands of church, demands of of planning demands of whatever it might be and we don't have the the physical space to separate these things like we used to or maybe we're feeling overwhelmed with grief as people we love are getting sick and and sometimes passing away and and it's really really hard it's really hard to be connected to god when when things are overwhelming and i think Psalm 69 is really helpful here. In Psalm 69, we see an example of of someone who, without a doubt, was feeling overwhelmed. I mean, listen to the imagery that the psalmist uses. It says, save me, God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. The psalmist says, let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Do not let the flood sweep over me. The psalmist felt overwhelmed without a doubt. I think we can all relate to that. And the psalmist here feels so overwhelmed that they use this really powerful image of deep water. And this deep water they say, is like they're suffering. And so I want to unpack this image of deep water because I think it's really essential to understanding what's going on here. I'm here on the New Jersey side of the Delaware River. More specifically, I'm at Washington's Crossing. You see, this area played an important part in the American Revolutionary War. December 25th, 1776, George Washington led a column of soldiers across the river here, and they went down to Trenton, had a battle with the British forces there. They won, gathered some important military supplies and some captives, and then went back over to Pennsylvania. A little bit later, on January 3rd, 1777, they crossed the river again and went up and had a significant battle at Princeton. Now, while the numbers of the Battle of Trenton were relatively small, it was an important battle. You see, in the months beforehand, the American forces had suffered a number of defeats in New York, and they had to retreat through New Jersey into Pennsylvania. So while the battle wasn't significant in terms of numbers, it turned the tide in terms of morale and its effect on the inspiration of the troops was really significant. Now, it wasn't an easy battle. In fact, it was pretty difficult. But the main difficulty that Christmas night wasn't the British soldiers. It was this river. You see, that night, the weather was really severe and the river was icy. Now, it wasn't solid ice that you could just walk across. They still had to use boats. But the ice made the crossing treacherous. A number of soldiers fell out of the boats when it happened. And in fact, there were two whole battalions that were supposed to go with Washington, but couldn't make the crossing. So when Washington made it to Trenton, he only had 2,400 troops. The main barrier and obstacle in that battle was this river. You see, we live in a time when, when almost everyone as a little kid is taught how to swim. A time when travel on water or over water is really easy, but it was not always that way. For ancient Jews, water, and especially deep water, was terrifying. Sea travel was the most dangerous kind of travel, and in fact, water, deep water represents evil and chaos. In fact, the Hebrew word for deep is the same root as the Babylonian goddess of chaos. When you look across the Bible, the deep water represents chaos and evil. We see it in Genesis 1 chapter 2 when darkness hovers over the surface of the deep. At the beginning, there was nothing but darkness and the deep. And God turned that and ordered it into creation. In Job chapter 38, God says to Job, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? God says the deep places of chaos and evil, they are places in which I only have domain." At the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 13, the beast, this representation of Satan that makes war against God's people, comes out of the sea, comes out of the deep places. You see, ancient Jews and many of the cultures around them had this view of the world, of the universe, that has three tiers. And there was heaven on top and there was earth in which we live in the middle. And then below are the deep places and hell. And water, deep water connects our layer with the layer beneath us. And so that's why in Revelation 13, the beast comes out of the sea. And that's why at the end of Revelation, when the author sees this glorious vision of a new heaven and a new earth, he says... There is no longer any sea. It's not because he doesn't like relaxing by the beach. It's because the sea represents chaos and evil. And if you've spent any time on the water, I think you understand this. When I was in middle and high school, I went to this summer camp, and I spent a lot of time doing whitewater canoeing and kayaking, now I'm someone who likes adventurous sports. I'm an avid rock climber. The first couple of times I went rock climbing, the height was really scary, but you get used to it pretty quickly. However, I never got used to going down rapids in a small boat. The power of the water is just overwhelming. And if you've ever gone whitewater rafting, or if you've ever been caught in a riptide, you know how powerful the water is. But even if you've never experienced any of those things, we all know what it feels like to be drowning. We all know what it feels like to have all of the situations in life overwhelm us. We know what it's like to have a river in front of us that we can't cross. We know what it's like to have the water up to our neck. And that is what the psalmist is experiencing. So the psalmist is using this really powerful image of deep water to describe how they are feeling overwhelmed in their circumstance. But what exactly is happening to the psalmist? It's really hard to reconstruct the history of any particular psalm, but there's a couple options about what this psalmist might be experiencing. Some scholars think that the psalmist might be experiencing a terminal illness. Verses one through three, the language of the waters coming up to my neck and where the psalmist says, I'm weary with crying, my throat is parched, my eyes grow dim. Some think that this might reflect some sort of physical illness that the psalmist is experiencing. Another option, and one that I think is a little more plausible, is that the psalmist is experiencing a combination of things. One of those things is that they've been rejected by their loved ones. In verse 8, it says, I have become a stranger to my kindred, an alien to my mother's children. Psalmist saying, I've been rejected by my family and by my siblings. And the reason for this seems to be some sort of religious persecution, actually. In verse 9, the psalmist says, It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So for some reason, the psalmist's passion for God's temple has led their family to reject them. And while it's unclear exactly what the situation here, it's very clear that the psalmist is experiencing immense suffering and that the suffering is both internal they're feeling grief and anguish and distress and anxiety and it's external there are real significant threats that are coming at the psalmist so how does the psalmist respond in light of this suffering that is described with this powerful image of deep water this internal and external anxiety what does the psalmist do I think the psalmist does two things that are really instructive for us today and for us whenever we are going through a season of being overwhelmed. And that is, first of all, the psalmist prays to God. The psalmist tells God what they're experiencing. Right, This psalm, Psalm 69, is a lament psalm. It is a psalm where the author laments how terrible life is is. The vast majority of this psalm is the psalmist saying to God, hey, God, life sucks. God, life is terrible. I need you. And this is so important for us that when we are overwhelmed, when we are distressed, when we don't know what to do, that we verbally express those things to God. I don't know about you, but when I feel, uh, stressed or overwhelmed. The, the issue for me isn't so much that I, I pray and don't tell those things to God or that I pray and lie to God. It's just that I just don't pray, right? I just avoid the prayer time in my life or I replace it with something else so I don't have to face it. But we can't do that with God. We have to come before God and say, God, This is what I'm experiencing. And God, this is really hard. And God, I don't know if I can make it. That's what the psalmist does. You know, lament psalm is actually the most common type of psalm. More than any other kind of psalm are the psalms that say, God, life is terrible. We have to be honest with God and willing to express that to him. But the psalmist not only prays to God, the psalmist also praises God. The way this psalm ends is so beautiful. In verse 30, the psalmist says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. In verse 34, the psalmist says, let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. The psalmist ends by saying, God, I will still praise you because you are worthy of praise. And then I love what the psalmist does. The psalmist has used this powerful image of deep water to describe their distress. And then at the end says, let the seas praise God. At the end, the psalmist says, let the deep water be used in God's praise. The deep water that caused my distress, that connects us to evil and to chaos, may that praise God. And here's the thing, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter how terrible life may get, God is always worthy of our praise. Because no matter what happens, God is still God. God is still the creator of the heavens and the earth who holds all things together. God is the one who who journeys to the springs of the sea and walks in the recesses of the deep. God is still the one who has dominion over the chaos. God is still loving and good and merciful and kind. And even if we don't see it, God is still worthy of praise because of who God is. And so I think what's important for us when we're overwhelmed is that we have a a balance between these two things. We shouldn't go to God and just tell him, hey God, everything is terrible, and then stop. But we also shouldn't go to God and just praise him as if everything is okay when it's not. We need to be people who go to God Holding both of these things together, saying, God, life is really hard, but God, I still know that you are good. So what does God do? If the psalmist is experiencing this great suffering, that they pray to God and they praise God, what does God do? And here, what I want to show is that Psalm 69 is really cool, because Psalm 69 has a ton of connections to the New Testament. Actually, more than any other book of the Bible, the New Testament quotes the Psalms, Quotes Psalms more than any other book. And of the Psalms, the two Psalms that the New Testament most frequently quotes are Psalm 22 and Psalm 69. And I just wanna, wanna share with you a couple of those. So in Psalm 69 verse four, it says, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. This is quoted in John chapter 15, verse 25. There, Jesus says, They hate me without cause about the religious leaders that are against him. In Psalm 69, verse 9, it says, It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. This is quoted in John chapter 2, verse 17. After Jesus overthrows the, the tables in the temple of the money changers, it says, Zeal for your house has consumed me about Jesus. The second half of Psalm 69, verse 9, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This is quoted in Romans chapter 15, verse 3. There, Paul applies this verse to Jesus and how Jesus was insulted. In uh, Psalm 69, verse 21, it says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. This is referenced in every one of the Gospels. All four of the Gospels reference this. When Jesus is on the cross and is given vinegar to drink in Psalm 69, verse 25, it says, May their camp be a desolation. Let no one live in their tents. Here, the psalmist is talking about his enemies. This verse is quoted in Acts chapter one, verse 20. There. The disciples, after Jesus has gone into heaven, are deciding who should be the new disciple to replace Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And they use this verse about Judas. So this verse that was about the enemy of the psalmist becomes about the enemy of Jesus. Now, I think it's it's highly unlikely that the psalmist was thinking about Jesus when they wrote this psalm. What I think we see here is is a representation of how God works in similar ways throughout history. God is consistent, and God is faithful. And even more than that, I think what we see here is an example of how Jesus suffers with us. The same suffering that the psalmist experienced is what Jesus experienced. And that is good news for us because it means in our sufferings, in our distress, and when we are feeling overwhelmed, we can know that Jesus has suffered with us and Jesus is suffering with us. We can know that we are not alone in our suffering because Jesus has already gone through it. Sisters and brothers of Hope, Jersey City. When you are overwhelmed, may you have the courage to pray to God. When the waters come up to your neck, may you have the endurance to give God the praise. May you know that Jesus is with you, and Jesus suffers with you in whatever you are experiencing. And may your deep rivers of distress be turned into seas of praise. Amen.